Please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. This is indeed a fascinating portion of Scripture. It is one that is truly beloved by many of us, no doubt. One that we are familiar with. One that is, it is necessary that we go over as we are working our way through passages or themes or subjects or people that are presented to us in the New Testament that we can better understand what's happening when we get to those places in the New Testament. We read of this particular instance in Hebrews chapter 11, but what is presented here is really types and shadows. Types and shadows of the work of the Lord Jesus, of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. This is one of the amazing passages that, it, that we are privileged to, to look at, especially within the Old Testament, all the way back to Abraham, as we see here a picture of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ in the relationship between Abraham and Isaac and the offering of Isaac. Some amazing things to look at here, not only the gospel, which is centered in this chapter, but also a number of other things concerning worship, concerning faith, concerning obedience. There is much here uh, for us to uh, devour, much here for us to feast upon, and I pray that we would give our attention to this portion of Scripture. We're going to read the verse 19 verses. And if you're not familiar with this, as we begin to go through it, you will begin to see the correlations between what is happening here and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham is the father of us all, as the Scriptures tell us. He is the father of faith, of the faith, and we see why within this passage of Scripture. This is the kind of faith that we need to emulate. This is the kind of faith that we need to to pursue. A faith that is strong in the Lord. A faith that is trusting, that has confidence, that will follow even when we don't understand. A faith that will even worship in times of great distress and anguish of heart. This is the kind of faith that God promotes within his people, but he does it through the trials and the times of testing that the Lord brings upon us. We look at many of these people and we see how amazing that they are or whatever, but the reason why we can look to them and we can, we can stand in awe of how the Lord used them or whatever is because the Lord grew their faith and he grew their faith during trials and times of testing like this with Abraham. I pray that this would give us a better understanding, maybe a better outlook in our times of testing, the purpose of them. And we've talked about these a number of times, but this is one of the more drastic uh, times in Abraham's life in which God tests him. And he purifies our faith through these times of testing 
and they are purposeful, they are needed among the people of God, and great results occur after, which is the growing of our faith. So let us give our attention to this portion of God's Word. If you would, please stand with me. We will read the first 19 verses of the inspired, God-breathed Word of God. Genesis chapter 22, beginning of verse 1. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket behind, caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And he said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies." In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Let's pray together. Magnificent Father, how amazing you are. How great that you are. How merciful 
and gracious that you are to us. When we don't deserve it, we give you praise this night because you provided for us. You provided a lamb, the spotless lamb, that he would take our place and endure what we deserved. Father, let this passage of Scripture just illuminate in our hearts. Give us understanding by the Spirit of God to see the things, the amazing things that are in this portion of your word. That we would adore you even more. To you be the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. An amazing passage. This is, this is after the Lord has fulfilled His promise to Abraham. He had promised him that Sarah would have a son. They would call his name Isaac. He is the child of promise. The Lord has said that when we looked at chapter 17, that He was going to establish His covenant with Isaac. He would bless Ishmael. Ishmael would would be the father of 12 princes and he would be great and mighty in the things that God had promised him. But he said, but it's going to be Isaac that I enter into covenant with. And so some things have happened since chapter 17, as the Lord had promised that. <clears throat> the Lord promised again, Isaac, you have the account of Sodom and Gomorrah, all that had happened there. You have Abraham once again, uh, deceiving another king about his wife. This had already happened with the king of Egypt. When they enter into the land, he says, uh, you tell them you're my sister. And so Pharaoh took her to be you know, his wife or to be his concubine, whatever his intention was. And then here again, we have Abraham doing this once more to Abimelech. And... Abimelech takes her uh, just as the king of Egypt did. And we see this is, this is very interesting when you read chapter 20. Uh, when God appears to Abimelech in a dream, he appears to him and he says, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. This is the Lord appearing to somebody and saying, You're a dead man. <laughs> like, what happened? What I do? And once the Lord reveals to him what has happened, then of course he sends her back to Abraham. Abraham says, I did this because I thought you all would kill me. He's being treacherous again. Uh, it's not as if he didn't learn the first time whenever they went through Egypt how the Lord was going to protect him and preserve him and promised him that he was going to inherit, his descendants would inherit the land. He's going to have a son of promise, all of this. And yet he's still... Uh, Lying. And granted, Sarah is his sister. I mean, that's not a lie. This is, this is true. She is his half-sister. But then you have the birth of Isaac, that it occurred. And then, after the promise that is fulfilled by the Lord, after all this time, finally Isaac is here. And Abraham is raising his son, the son of promise, whom the Lord is going to bless, enter into covenant with, 
that the nations are going to be blessed because of his people that the Lord is going to raise up and it's going to be through Isaac. There could have been maybe a time of ease after all this has transpired and then the son of promise comes. A little bit of ease maybe on the part of Abraham. He's here. It's fulfilled. Everything's great. Until the Lord appears to him again. And this is, this is something that I don't think any one of us can really, truly comprehend to understand what is happening here within the mind and the heart of Abraham. We see these pages, or we see these words on these pages, and we see how Abraham, it's just that he gets up and he does the very thing that God tells him to do, but we don't consider the anguish of his soul. Perhaps the anguish that's going on in the heart of Abraham. This is my son whom I love. And this is how the Lord even introduces this whole thing. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. Now, why did he say it like that? Isaac is not his only son. He has Ishmael. Why is he saying it this way? Because he is reiterating again to Abraham the son of promise is the one I'm referring to. And we see from the very beginning, this is going to be a test. This is going to be a way that, that God is going to, to purify Abraham's faith even more. To grow his faith even more. And it's going to come through, it's going to be through this, this horrendous uh, event that Abraham has full intention of doing. And that's the amazing part. He says, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. He doesn't even question whether or not this is the Lord speaking to him. We read, he rose up early in the morning and saddled his donkey. He's getting ready to go. He's going to go through with this. And it's so amazing to think, go to the land of Moriah. There's going to be some hills there that I'm going to point you to, and this is where you're going to do it. And we think of that, okay, what's the significance there? Because this is going to be the same place that David builds an altar unto the Lord. It's going to be the same place that Solomon builds the temple of the Lord. It's going to be in the same, the same mountain range in which Christ is going to be crucified. This is the significance of this whole thing. Abraham doesn't question. He doesn't try to wheel and deal with the Lord as he did in the earlier chapters when it came to Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord had appeared to Abraham and he says, I'm going to destroy the cities. And Abraham's like, wait a minute. What if there's 50 there? Okay, I won't do it. Okay, well, what if there's 40? Okay. If there's 40 righteous there, I won't destroy the city. Well, what if there's 30? And he goes all the way down to 10. Well, what if there's 10? And the Lord says, I will not destroy the city. And so you have Abraham, who's, who's kind of wheeling and dealing here when it comes to two cities in which his nephew lives. But when it comes to this, and it comes to this time in which God says, take your only son and offer him up as a burnt offering, nothing on his part. 
He doesn't say anything. Is there instances in which he has learned previously of the very nature of God? You know, and actually just to give you a footnote there about what we were just saying, there wasn't even 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. Imagine that. If there had been, the Lord wouldn't have done what he said he was going to do. Obviously, the Lord knew there was not even 10 there. That just shows you how evil and wicked those cities were. But here, Abraham doesn't say anything. He doesn't question it. He doesn't try to talk the Lord out of this. He just received a command by his God. Maybe, could have been, depending on who uh, you read as far as theologians, maybe Abraham could have been familiar with the practice. I mean, you have you know, paganism. Pagan, the word pagan really encompasses a very general term of, of just idolatry and all of that, but you had that, that sort of thing going on within the surrounding areas. You had human sacrifice. Many cultures have done it. You know, and it's very interesting that at the center of even idolatrous worship is the idea of sacrifice. Something has to be done that I can't do in order to appease the God in which I serve. Even idolatrous nations understand at least the concept of sacrifice that is involved in worship. That's a very interesting thing. Abraham, probably familiar with that. But you know, at this point, Abraham doesn't have the law. When we get to the law and we get to Moses and Moses delivering the law to the children of Israel, you have the prohibition there. No sacrifices of human, any kind. You don't do that. Abraham doesn't have that. Abraham doesn't have the law. Maybe it's, it's possible in which he thinks that is this maybe what he requires now? This is something new. And so he rises up early in the morning. He saddles his donkey. He takes two of his young men, Isaac. He splits wood for the burnt offering. And he goes to the place which God had told him. Now, as we're going to see here, even Isaac is going to look and he's going to say, Okay, we got the wood. We got for the fire. Where's the sacrifice? Which is a good indication that this is something that they did often. This was part of their worship. In that day, Abraham knew the idea of what was centered in the worship of God was that of sacrifice. He knew that. Isaac knew that. And actually, there's a good reason to believe that Isaac is probably in his late teens. Josephus would say, the Jewish historian that Isaac may have been about 25 years old. This is something that they had done numerous times. Centered of, in the worship of Yahweh was that of sacrifice. Something dying in place of the worshiper. Except this time, the Lord says, I want it to be your son. 
So Abraham gathers everything. They begin their journey towards Mount Moriah. And this isn't coincidence. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw his young and saw the place in which God had uh, told him to go. Now think of the faith of Abraham in this. Abraham says to the young men, you all stay here. Me and the lad are going to go. We're going to worship. And we will come back to you. We will worship and return to you, he says. Not only, and, and you've got to think of this. Not only is Abraham finding out from the Lord, your son is going to be sacrificed to me, and you're going to be the one to do it. The anguish of his soul, we couldn't even understand. I couldn't imagine taking one of my children and doing what Abraham did. Or was going to do. I couldn't imagine that. Because of how much I love my children. I couldn't. I, it's beyond me. I can't fathom. What he was feeling on the inside. But you know what he was going to do? He was going to take whatever it was. He was going to perform whatever the Lord had told him to do. And it would be an act of worship on his part to do it. That's what he was intending. Worship isn't always happy. It isn't always peaceful. Worship sometimes is taking the anguish of your soul and you put it back to the Lord. Worship is ascribing worth to Him regardless of how you feel. Worship is ascribing worth to Him because He's worthy regardless of what else happens in this life. Always. It doesn't matter how bad I think my life is going. I know that the Lord is helping me through this. I believe that because the Scripture tells me that. And so I'm going to, to, even in the anguish of my soul, I'm going to sing the praises of God because I know He's the one getting me through these things. And I'm going to have confidence in Him, even when I don't understand. Do you think Abraham understood what was happening? No. How could he? We understand what's happening because we can read verse 1. He didn't have verse 1. And yet, at the same time, at the same time that he is getting ready to do this, he is fully assured that he's coming back with Isaac. And we know that because that's what the writer of Hebrews tells us. In Hebrews chapter 11, <clears throat> you think of, again, just... The faith that it took to follow through with these things. In Hebrews chapter 11, he says in verse 17, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises 
was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Was there anything being taught at that time about resurrection? Don't know. But regardless if there was or there wasn't, he's fully assured that Isaac's coming back with him and that God is able to do this, to raise him back from the dead after Abraham is going to slay him. How could he have such faith? And this is where in the anguish of our souls, this is why it is necessary to remember what God has done previously. Because Abraham knew that God had called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. He remembered that God had promised him that he would have descendants after him as numerable as the sand of the sea and the stars of heaven. Abraham knew that God had made an oath swearing by himself, swearing by none greater that he was going to perform these things. That God had made a promise to him that he was going to have a son even in the old age of he and his wife. That's a miracle, child, in and of itself. And God performed it, and God did it, and everything that God said was going to happen has happened. And so even in the midst of these things here, I know that He has dealt, he has dealt well with me. He has dealt bountifully with me beforehand. And I know that even though He's telling me this, He has made promises to me. Isaac is to whom He's going to make His covenant. It's going to be through Isaac that the nations are going to be blessed. I know these things because he said it and he's trustworthy. That's why he can have the faith that he does. Because he remembers what God has done already. He reflects upon the goodness of God and the great mercies that have been extended to him already. What protection that God has placed upon him already. How God has preserved him already. Fulfilled the promises thus far. For him directly. That's why even in the times in which we don't understand things, we have to go back to what we know to be true. We go back and remember God has always been good to me. God has never been false to me. He's never, he's never lied to me. He's never been unfaithful to me. How, how often did he, should he have walked away from me as unfaithful as I've been to him? But never has he, has he ever, ever taken his presence from me. Perhaps that's where Abraham's at. These things I remember. Just as the psalmist says. And so even if he doesn't understand, even though his heart's perhaps broken, what is getting ready to occur, he has great trust in the Lord that he has the power to raise even from the dead. To add all to that, to know what's getting ready to happen, 
after he tells them that he's, he and, and Isaac are going to go worship and they're going to return. Abraham takes the wood of the burnt offering and he lays it on Isaac. So Isaac is the one bearing the wood for the sacrifice. That is so amazing. Because all of this is leading up to pointing that in the mount of the Lord, He will provide. Isaac takes the wood, perhaps on his own back, and he's going to climb the same mountain range in which Jesus Himself would climb with His cross on His back. To add even more... Perhaps anguish to the soul of Abraham. Isaac speaks to his father. Calling him out. By his great title that he's been privileged to have. As a result of God's promise to him. Isaac says, my father. Again, to pierce into the heart of Abraham. My son. My son whom I love. What is he saying? Here I am, my son. Where's the lamb? God will provide. God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. They come to the place in which God had told Abraham to build the altar. He arranges the wood. And then he binds his son. And he lays him on the altar. Now here's something else to think of. This isn't a forceful thing that Abraham is doing to Isaac. Isaac is in his late teens. He's maybe 20 years old. Abraham's over 100 years old. You don't think he can take his dad? What are you doing with that rope? But at some point, he has to tell his son what's going to happen. There's no fighting on the part of Isaac. Isaac allows his father to bind him and to lay him upon the altar because he trusts his father. A voluntary act on the part of Isaac. He trusts his father. He trusts in the God that has called his father to do this. And as Abraham takes the knife, he stretches out his hand to slay his son. I can't imagine in Abraham's heart what more grateful words that he could have ever heard. When the angel of the Lord calls to him, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. 
Do not stretch out your hand. And do nothing to, nothing to him. Don't stretch out your hand, Abraham. This isn't what I require of you. Because even the child of promise, he's not sufficient enough. Even his death is not sufficient to do what I need to be done. I couldn't imagine the relief on the part of Abraham. He says to him, Now I know. You fear, that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. We'll come back to this in a moment. And so then Abraham raised his eyes, and he sees a ram that is caught in a thicket. Caught in it by its horns. It could have been there already. Don't know. But with Abraham, he had one thing in mind, and that was his obedience to the Lord. So if you're already focused on one thing, it's very likely you didn't see the other. What a relief. How much his heart was warmed that God provided something else. So he takes the ram... And he offers the ram in place of his son. Something had to die. A sacrifice was needed. And that sacrifice was going to be this ram instead of Isaac. And so you have this beautiful name that is being given here which expresses the very character of God. As a result of this whole ordeal, Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Is what we have heard before, Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. And he says, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. You know, Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. I couldn't imagine an even greater picture of the work of Christ that Abraham was privileged to see in this event right here. And he was glad because it wasn't his son. God was going to provide an even greater sacrifice. God would provide the lamb a spotless lamb. A lamb without blemish. In order to take the place of sinners. Just like this ram took the place of his son. All of that is picturing the work of the Lord Jesus. Because when the time came on this same mountain range. 
God didn't call from heaven and say, don't. Instead, God pours out His wrath upon His only Son. God doesn't stop what is needed to happen to His Son. Because it's going to be through His Son in which the redemption of the world is going to take place. The redemption of all His people is going to be going to be it's going to be satisfied in Him. Fully paid for in Him. He is going to purchase them. And so it was absolutely necessary that God not withhold His wrath, but pour out His wrath. Because Christ is the Lamb who takes the place of sinners. And it's amazing. You have Abraham traveling for three days, thinking what's, what's going to happen. He even He's thinking clearly he's not a senile old man. He knows exactly what it is that he needs to say to the two young men. So you guys stay here, because if they come with him, maybe they're going to try to stop it. What are you doing? No, you guys stay here. We're going to go. But it's on that third day in which it's getting ready to happen. And Isaac is very much alive. What a wonderful act of mercy. An act of grace that this was. Because it wasn't as if Isaac wouldn't have deserved to die because we all deserve to die but God withheld that from Isaac and he withholds it from all that are in Christ because he has one sacrifice that will achieve exactly what is required in the sight of God and that was Christ Now, just to go back and to say this. In verse 12, we read something very interesting. The angel of the Lord, and this should kind of make a light go on in our minds. The angel of the Lord is the one who calls from heaven. But listen to what the angel of the Lord says. Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. The very one who calls out from heaven is the one who says, that's what I'm going to do. You don't do it. I'm going to do it. The very one who's present there, witnessing it all, is the very one who's actually going to carry it out. Now, he says these words, I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. 
Did he not know that Abraham feared him? Did he not know that Abraham had great faith in him? You know, it's interesting that open theists would look at this, and they do look at this. And they say, see? God didn't know, and so he had to do these, this very thing in order to see if Abraham really, really feared him. Well, you have a lot of problems there. I mean, just in the beginning, if God didn't know what was going to happen, how would he have even known that Abraham would have even taken him in the first place? Obviously, he wouldn't have. Maybe he's saying, I think I need to test Abraham. So I really hope that he takes him there, and I really hope that he's actually going to do it so I can intervene and stop this whole thing. That's nonsense. But open theists like to use this verse right here to say that God didn't know what was going to happen. If you're not familiar with open theism, that's the belief that God doesn't know the future. That God is learning just as we learn. Every day the Lord is gathering new information, new information because He doesn't know what's going to happen. He knows the present. He knows the past. He doesn't know the future. Well, what's actually going on here? The Lord is making these statements not for the benefit of himself as if he didn't know, but he's making these statements for the benefit of Abraham. These are meant for Abraham. Maybe it's meant to comfort Abraham. Because in this whole ordeal, he doesn't understand why this is happening. He doesn't understand why it is that the Lord is telling him to kill his son whom he loves and offering him up as a burnt offering. So he, he believes that God can bring him back, but he doesn't understand why he has to do this. And so at the end of it all, after the Lord provides the ram, or he's getting ready to provide the ram after he stops Abraham, by saying this to Abraham... He is, he is recognizing and acknowledging for the benefit of Abraham, his faith. That's what he's doing. Abraham needed to hear God affirm his faith after that whole ordeal. That in itself was a grace of God extended to Abraham to comfort his heart and to put him at ease. One person says this, God makes statements often designed to reveal to us a truth that needs to be presented. And so he's speaking to Abraham in a way that Abraham would understand and be comforted. And in a way that Abraham would grow in his adoration of the Lord even more. You know, it's... It's because of reasons like this, of this, this whole thing is the reasoning why Abraham would be considered the father of the faith. Think of what he just went through and was going to do. Now, people may say, well, Abraham really hoped that God was going to stop it anyway once he got there because God doesn't permit 
you know, human sacrifices. Well, Abraham may not have even known that. He was familiar that the rest of the cultures did that. The law wasn't given to him yet. We can't presume that he knew that. He picked up the knife. He was going to do it. He was going to follow through because he had that unwavering faith even in the time in which he did not understand. John Calvin says this, For the faith which is more precious than gold and silver ought not to lie idle without trial. For the faith which is more precious than gold and silver ought not to lie idle without trial. Why the trial? Because the trial purifies your faith. The trial grows your faith. I couldn't imagine what praying that Abraham was doing throughout this whole time. For the Lord to give him strength to do it. For the Lord to help him to be able to follow through in this, this act of obedience. And then to see what grace that God had in, in relinquishing his hand and all of that. And he says, I will provide. That only furthered his faith and grew his faith. It made him to reflect upon what God had done previously to know that maybe I've never even heard of this, but I know God's going to do it because he promised me this is the child of promise. And so maybe it even brought to Abraham a new aspect of the power of God that he is capable of doing. It opened his eyes even more to see the glory of God. Do you recognize that this is what God does to you as well? Your times of testing are meant for that very purpose. To purify your faith. Not to destroy you. To purify your faith in Him. Because you are more valuable than silver and gold because you have been bought with the precious blood of the Lamb and the trials are meant for you to grow even more in your gratefulness and in your adoration in your appreciation in your thankfulness to the one who granted you this eternal life What a great mercy was shown here. Not only does he have Isaac, but he reiterates to him what he said previously. And obviously Abraham believed what he had said previously because he knew he could bring him back from the dead for this very purpose. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And Abraham goes home. After this whole thing, what does the Lord do? 
speaks back to him the very promises that he had made. Abraham, I promised you this. And I'm reiterating it to you again. This is what I'm going to do. In your seed, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed because the angel of the Lord that is speaking to you now is coming through your seed and is going to perform this great act of redemption. Going to be the substitute. The Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. This is such a beautiful picture of the work of Christ. And not only that, but it, it brings back to us again how worship is, the, what it centers around worship is the very act of sacrifice. That's how it was with Adam, Abel, those who come after. What does Noah do when he gets off the ark? He sacrifices. That is in his act of worship to the Lord. What does Abraham do? He sacrifices in his worship to the Lord. What does David do? Same thing. What does Solomon do? Same thing. There, there, there is that, that understanding that within worship there is sacrifice. Our faith is centered on sacrifice. The sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. Our worship of Him entails sacrifice. Not just a sacrifice of your time to be here. A sacrifice of your own wants or desires to be in line with His. You give Him a sacrifice of thanksgiving. A sacrifice of praise. It is centered on sacrifice. The offering up unto the Lord. That's what we do in worship. Ascribing Him worth and we're offering up to Him the praise of our lips. Or we're offering up to Him our hearts. Or offering up to Him our thanks for all that He is. Offering up to Him our lives. That our lives will be a, a sacrifice. A reasonable sacrifice. As Paul says. That my life is geared towards sacrifice. Offering it up to the Lord. That means I deny my own wants. I pick up my cross and I follow. And I delight in doing so because it's a small thing in light of all that He is and all that He's done. There is a delight in offering the sacrifice and it should be a delight for us as well. That's one of the things we learn here. The necessity of obedience is all through there. And the understanding of how God grows our faith. Dear Christian, in the time in which you endure the various testings, the times of testings, and let's just say, you know, a lot of times some of the things that come to our minds are, is, is God punishing me? Have I done something? Is God chastising me? Well, even if it is for chastisement, let's just say if it is. This is what the writer of Hebrews says, that no chastisement is joyous, but grievous. But afterwards, it yields that peaceable fruit of righteousness. So regardless if it's for chastisement, the outcome is the same. 
The outcome is the growing of your faith. The outcome is being more dependent upon the Lord. The outcome is a greater adoration for Him. The outcome is a greater trust and a greater confidence. There is so much that we miss because we're so focused on whatever it is that's happening. And we don't think to ourselves to remind ourselves, this is my God who is performing that which is appointed for me for the testing of my faith, to grow me more, to purify my faith. We, we, we don't think that way. But we need to think that way. Because if we can think that way and recognize the truths of, of God that are there, that, 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 that teach us such things, then we can have a much different outlook on the times of our testing. We want the faith of Abraham or desire to have the faith of Abraham, which was granted to him. He's not some superhuman person or anything like that. But the faith that he had was because of the trials that he endured. And I pray that as we endure our trials, which will inevitably come, that we will be trusting, be confident in the Lord who called us. He's always good. Always. Remember those things. Remember what you know to be true in the time of your greatest anguish. Let's pray. Gracious God, how amazing you are. How gracious that you are. So merciful. Thank you that you did provide. And you provided it in the mount of the Lord, as you said in this passage, because it would be in this same mountain range in which your son would offer the sacrifice in place of all your people. Thank you that we don't receive what we deserve, but in him we have received mercy. In him we have received the adoption as children of God. And in Him, we have received a love that is unfathomable, that is too great and too deep for us to understand how great it is. Thank you for this gift of salvation. Thank you for calling us and making us your own. Father, help us to remember these things that we have learned tonight in the times in which you test our faith to grow us. Let us remember that it isn't for the purpose of destroying us, but for the purpose of growing us. I pray for each person here, and may we all come alongside each other to help encourage and to remind each other of these wonderful truths. How amazing. Thank you so much. To you be the praise, the glory, and the honor in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And thank you for your attention and you are dismissed.